Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by my bookie. My bookie will match your first deposit by 50% all the way up to $1,000. Head to mybookie.ag and use promo code GATERS to activate the offer. Bet, win, get paid at mybookie. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me on this episode is Will Salmon from The Athletic. And Will, man, here we are getting together for the last time of the regular season. And, and this time, uh, taking a look at the, the beatdown Florida gave Florida State 40-17. to <laughs> Yeah, successful season for the Gators wrapped up exactly the way Florida wanted it too with, as you said, quite the drubbing Saturday night in the swamp with a big win for Florida over rival Florida State to wrap up a pretty successful regular season at 10 and 2. Yeah, I mean, 10 and 2, uh, I mean, pretty much, you know, you go back and look at it and coming into this season and Florida was looked at as a, what, you know, top 10 team, probably around that 7 8 mark. And that's about when, you know, the coach's poll got released right before we came on air and Florida's there at 7. Uh, at SEC Media Days, we were there, and Florida was pegged second in the SEC East, and that's exactly where they they ended up. So, uh, you know, we'll, I'll have a you know, we got plenty of time for other episodes coming down the down the pipe, but one I already had kind of have planned, and I'll, I'll go into it. But you, know, you can kind of look at uh, no matter the path of how Florida got to ten and two, uh, they still lived up to the expectation, no matter what happened to them this season. Well, yeah, I don't really think that the schedule was as difficult as we mm-hmm. thought it would be. Obviously, you had Auburn, Georgia, and LSU, and those were massive matchups. Don't get me wrong. But we thought it would be a little bit deeper. We thought maybe Kentucky would be a little bit better, even though they, they did manage to salvage a pretty solid season despite all their injuries. Uh, but Miami being as dreadful as it is, and Florida State not really improving all that much from last year doesn't help the non-conference schedule for Florida. But when you consider the the injuries, particularly at starting quarterback, I mean, the, the Gators lost their starting quarterback and arguably their best defensive player. Obviously, John Gennard became it, but before the season, the best defensive player was probably either Jabari Zuniga or, you know, beyond the corners, it was Jabari Zuniga. So he's been out for the majority of the season. So you lose your QB plus your uh, premier pass rusher and you still managed to do what you were expected to do, which was win 10 games. So you could look at it both ways. Yeah, yeah, they fell short of their their ultimate goal, and they still have 
uh, you know, a gap between them and Georgia that they need to uh, tighten up to really make a move. But for right now, in year two under Dan Mullen, this is probably this is probably pretty solid. This is probably he he should be pretty satisfied with where he is. Obviously, he's not going to say that, but I think if you look at look at it objectively, this is probably where where you want to be for Florida at the moment right now. Well, a joking question before we move forward uh, here. Um, just because being in that stadium uh, is kind of contagious there. Uh, being in the press box, too, I know you can hear it. Uh, do you get caught up in singing uh, Tom Petty at any point? <laughs> <laughs> no. You know, um, I, I love I love it. I love to watch it. You know, it's one of those deals where, like, I kind of stop reviewing and I just watch because it's that. Yeah. Uh, I don't really sing along. But <laughs> maybe, maybe next year or something like that. In your head, in your head. In my head, maybe, yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe a couple of lines for sure. Get <laughs> yeah, wrong, man. Absolutely, and uh, that was that was a fun one, you know, because we don't get to see many Florida night games. It just hasn't happened. Uh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, yeah and especially since they've started, uh, you know, won't back down. The Tom Petty song there. We haven't got to, we haven't seen that in a big game night game atmosphere uh, yeah. too many times. So with the uh, you know with with the cell phones going off and you know, the blowout already in place, yeah, I think the fan base might have been at its loudest uh, singing that song instead of. Uh, the, the the senior day festivities and singing Tom Petty more so than uh, any time just, you know, when trying to yell at FSU when the offense is on the field. Yeah, it carried over into the play, too, a little bit. That's right. Usually does. Um, so that was kind of cool. That was kind of funny. But, yeah, man, I thought I thought about that before the game, like right before the, the game got started. I'm like, man, it's been a while since there's been a night game here. So it, it kind of felt cool. It was a good atmosphere for sure. It was, it was It was right up there with Auburn, probably even better than that. Yeah, overall, in a way, uh, I think the crowd was amped, especially before game, pregame. I thought the sustained loudness of the crowd, I think, probably still goes to the Auburn game. Yeah, uh, but, that's but, fair. But the excitement for Senior Day and kind of the the buildup, I thought, uh, leading lead into last night was a- absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think you're absolutely right with that. Just because it's like – it makes sense. I mean, Auburn, the, the, the game mattered because it was top 10 and it was turning point for, you know, the season was basically on the line there. You had to win that game to remain relevant. Mm-hmm. So here it was, I mean, people, people got what they got, what they expected, a lopsided <laughs> victory over your state rival, which is cool if you're Florida fans. But again, it's one of those th- things where it's expected. So it's not the same sort of hype. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We'll get into looking at uh, what took place on the field. Um, as Florida beat FSU 40-17. to But before we get there, remember you can find Gators Breakdown at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the episodes there, as well as News for Jacks coverage of the Gators. Also catch the podcast uh, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, some of you are watching YouTube version live now. Thank you very much. Uh, when using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So I'm going to start with a quote here. We'll go kind of for the, these uh, these seniors here uh, from Dan Mullen. He says, quote, it's really special to me. I know when you come in, we didn't recruit you, but this is how we're going to run the program. This is what we believe in. This is how the program should be run in the future. Those guys believed and bought in. I think I thank every single one of them. I said, thanks for believing in me. They played hard for the Gators. They came uh, they uh, they came here to be Gators. They also believed in me, bought into what me and the coaching staff, what we were trying to build here, how we run our program. I'm very thankful for them to believe in me. It's a great honor for guys to do that. And you know, 
really good gesture there by Dan Mullen, uh, of course, when asked about these seniors and uh, all the ones that took part in, in the senior day festivities. And I mean, yeah, we, we know uh, that's what he had to say uh, about this 2019 senior class. So it will is definitely an emotional night uh, as those guys were introduced before the game with, with a great ovation from the home crowd. Uh, it was pretty cool by Mullen on the first play of the game. The, the four senior wide receivers are out there uh, making the start. Uh, those guys had big days. Grenard had a big day with three sacks and six tackles. David Reese had six tackles. Uh, it was senior night, and it was the seniors that really got to show out. Yeah, four seniors plus Pirine. Uh, yeah. maybe five wide, all seniors. But, you know, the thing with Dan Mullen is he shot those guys straight when he got, when he got to Gainesville uh, about two years ago at this point, right? a little bit more than two years ago. But, you know, in those winter meetings that he had with those dudes, uh, he shot them straight. He said to them, like, hey, I know how to win, and I also know how to get you to where you want to be, which for a lot of these guys obviously is the NFL or it's the next level, wherever that is. Um, And he he basically told them, hey, I I know how to put you – in a position to be successful. And that's what we hear from a lot of coaches. It's it's a big coach speak uh, thing that people sort of fall on these days. But Dan Mullen has walked the walk with it uh, because we've seen it firsthand with a new, uh, numerous guys. One that comes to mind right at the bat, just off, fresh off his performance from yesterday, was Freddie Swain. Mm-hmm. Uh, that guy was vastly underutilized in the previous regime. Uh, Dan Mullen moves him to the slot uh, last year, and since then he's thrived. Uh, and and we've seen also guys like Tyree Cleveland um, just epitomize that unselfishness um, and, and that buy-in. So it works both ways. Dan Mullen had to present himself in a way that would be enticing for guys to, to want to buy in, and then they have to say to themselves, okay, yeah, we are going to do it. But it doesn't work unless it actually happens, of course, right? Yeah. Uh, and it has, and, and so like the proof's in the pudding with it, and that's why it's um, it was so so much more the opposite of what we saw just across the other sideline, which goes to show you just how not fickle, but just the chances of it not working out could be just as high sometimes. Yeah, I think you know the the quote from Mullen and and the way. You could tell Tyree Cleveland was so emotional. He didn't really want to go into the locker room after the game. He wanted to kind of soak it, soak it all in. And you know, with so many, and your article at the Athletic definitely alluded to this. You know, with so many recruits and and so many guys uh, there in the stands, looking at everything that's going on uh, with this program, and to kind of see, you know, don't you know. Of course, you were there for the game, but forget about the game for a second. You see the the quote from Dan Mullen. You see how much these seniors cared, the guys that weren't recruited by Dan Mullen, how much they now end up caring about him and all that. I mean, yeah, it, it speaks uh, it speaks a whole lot. It sends the right message to these guys. And look, you know, for for whatever, we'll get into it. We'll have plenty of time of, of recruiting and, and whether it's good enough under Dan Mullen or, or if it's good or if it's not good enough. But – it, there is a different way of going about it and an actual care and actual belief of doing the right thing when you see how these players and these coaches react with each other. For sure. And I think that we could objectively say at the very least, whether we get into the recruiting rankings or which prospect is committed and, and how good is that prospect versus, uh, you know, the group at Georgia or LSU and, and do all that. But I think we can objectively say that it's at least moving in a positive direction for the Gators. And I think last night was evident of that where, you know, you have about, you know, hundreds of prospects there and they're looking at it and they're watching. Yeah. They're, they're seeing kind of a blowout score, like you said, but even more than that, you're seeing some more intricate things too. Um, as far as, you know, how the seniors are utilized, how playmakers are, are utilized. Um, 
Kyrie Elam get, getting a start at corner as a freshman still, Diabati picking up some sacks and, and tackles for loss. I mean, so like you see the, those things and um, it just allows you to kind of like buy in, I think, if you're if you're a prospect into into what Florida is selling, which, you know, they planned or I guess just by default, it's, it's been the product on the field sort of thing for them as far as their their recruiting tool. And we'll see how much it's going to work. But uh, you can't really deny that it's 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 moving at least in the positive direction, it seems. Absolutely, absolutely. So here we go for the offense. You know, good to see the offense get off to a great start. Uh, the Gators had great success scoring early in games earlier in the season, uh, kind of leading up to the Georgia game. And since that, you know, then since the the Georgia game, the offense has has come out not put up much early in games since since that Georgia game, of course. So you know, that change versus FSU, uh, Florida marched seventy five yards in eleven plays uh, on the first drive. Trask converted a, a third and ten on a nineteen yard completion to Van Jefferson. And then he uh, ran for two yards on fourth and one and then uh, capped off the drive with a wide receiver screen to Freddie Swain for a 19-yard touchdown. Trask completed passes to Swain, P. Ryan, Jefferson, and going six for eight for 69 yards on the opening drive. Um, and then kind of extend it in, in the good start. The Gators actually scored touchdowns on their first three possessions. 75 yards, 75 yards, 85 yards. Uh, they did have to punt on the fourth drive of the game, but then followed that up with another touchdown and a field goal in the first half. So six drives in the first half, scoring on five of them. Florida held a 30 to seven uh, half, 30 to seven halftime lead, a 30, 305 yard and 95 yard advantage, 266 of that passing, averaged 7.3 yards per play holding FSU to 3.7 in the first half. Will, with the great home crowd and, and emotions riding high, it was great to see the, the offense come out firing, put up points right, right away. Uh, the game was essentially over at halftime after weeks of, you know, not really being able to get into that first half groove. That was the thing, right? That's kind of like what you looked at. Like, how, how quickly will Florida be able to get rolling here was, was kind of the thought I had. Because as soon as Florida did get rolling, the game was going to be over because it was just two different two different programs, two totally different programs. <laughs> one in, in, one going upward, one kind of either fizzling or spiraling, however you want to look at it, depending, I guess, on who their next coach is. Uh, but, yeah, it was just one of those things where we saw the maturity again for the Gators. We saw it against Missouri where they didn't allow – um, that the loss pre preceding it to to impact that game or, um, you know, take that game lightly and, and just stay on track. Same deal here. I mean, like you had a lot going on as far as emotions as with players playing their final game at, at their home field. And they, they lo it looked like they, they played with just um, a heavy level of motivation behind that, whether that was part of it or just wanting to beat Florida State in Gainesville for the first time in a while or just wanting to finish the season the way that they want, the, the way that they um, thought that they should be. I think all of it just uh, added up to a heightened level of focus for the Gators that was really evident from the first couple of drives. Uh, I mean, even, even defensively, I mean, it was a little bit kind of, I don't want to say sloppy, but Florida State was running some some nifty plays with within their scripted uh, first couple of drives, and that kind of looked like it caught it off guard for the Gators. But beyond that, it was just really really fine execution on both sides for Florida. Yeah, you mentioned that that defensive uh, possession here. The first one, Florida State did go seventy five yards in ten plays, just over four minutes on their first drive to tie the game at seven. Uh, Tamari and Terry beat C.J. Henderson one on one for the biggest play of the drive uh, that went for forty five yards. And look, and going back and previewing the game, I, 
didn't think FSU would be able to, to drive consistently on Florida, and, and that was the case uh, as FSU was only able to muster 20 yards over the rest of the first half, um, and, uh, um, and that that touchdown there on the very first drive for FSU was the first touchdown um, scored since the Auburn game at home on this Gators defense. Uh, so only two opponents this year uh, have scored opponent uh, have scored touchdowns on the Gators in the swamp. That'd be Auburn and FSU. Uh, FSU scored another one later on uh, in the game as well. But uh, a testament to uh, this defense for bouncing back after that first drive and just really, really just stamping it and playing so well at home of uh, the crowd, a big factor with that Auburn game and a crowd, uh, a big factor in this FSU game too. Yeah. And a lot of it too was uh, some good pressure again from Florida. If you look at um, just not, not their overall amount of sacks because I talked about the schedule at the beginning where some of the teams they played weren't the best, but if you look at say FBS teams with winning records, their sack numbers are still pretty high. They're, they're still averaging about close to three sacks a game against FBS winning teams. And they have about six or seven of those on the schedule. So, um, and that's, that's good for, I think in the top 40 or somewhere around there or top 30, uh, which is pretty good. Um, maybe it's even better than that. Now that I think about it, I'd have to double check, but point is, is that it, it was again on display. Um, they got some playmakers um, and it's going to be a different team on both sides a little bit next year, but it was, it was just good to see that those guys um, again, step up without Jabari Zuniga, see some different players get in on the action, whether it was Zach Carter or obviously Jonathan Grenard making um, a difference in his final game in the swamp. Um, just guys like that. Just really, really, um, coming into the moment and establishing what, what they want to do early and, and just not letting up either. We saw that throughout the whole second half where there was no let up, there was no real bad inexcusable plays or anything like that. I, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, the, 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 you know, after the slow start, I mean, they, they, they did what they should have done. Uh, now they got away with some coverage problems early on, <laughs> you know, James Blackman, uh, miss some wide open uh, wide receivers. The first, I'll give credit to the pass rush for causing him to miss that one. Uh, but there was another where he just he just missed it and should have easily been an FSU touchdown. But uh, all in all, great defensive performance, holding FSU to 250 total yards, five of 14 on third downs, letting them only run 56 plays. Uh, now, Tamari and Terry did get 131 yards on seven catches, but was held out of the end zone. Cam Akers ran for 102 yards on 17 carries, one of those a 50-yard touchdown. He was limited otherwise there. So, you know, those were the two guys the FSU needed to get going, and they played well. But when you're starting quarterback, Blackman only goes 14 to 23 for 150 yards. You mentioned, Will, the sacks, eight sacks there, 12 tackles for loss. I mean, it was going to be tough for FSU to get anything going. Yeah, and, and Akers and Terry were, I want to say, pretty much non-factors in the first half uh, when the Gators were up, what, 30-7? to seven? So, I mean, just the garbage time to me doesn't really make a difference in how I view the game, obviously. So uh, Cam Akers was held in check, um, and it's really not his fault. I mean, it's, it's he was probably the most talented player on the field, I thought. It's just a, kind of, again, the comparison between Florida State and Florida, where Florida State has those couple of good players, and it's like, you completely basically wasted them uh, their, their previous two years on this team. So, yeah, it's just a bad team against, against a team that, that's one of the top ten teams in the country. Absolutely. Uh, and, man, Jonathan Grenard, you brought him up to his last two games here. Uh, I mean, eight tackles for loss, five sacks, forced fumble, led the way this season for the Gators defense that has 46 sacks on the season, their highest tally since recording 50 in 1997. To extend that, Will, here we go. (laughs) 
The Gators had 18 combined sacks versus Miami and FSU. I mean, 10 to start the season, 8 to end the season. I mean, I don't know what else we can say about Grenard that hasn't already been said. I mean, as high as I was on him coming into this season, no way I could have predicted he'd have this type of year. Uh, I know he'd only, you know, we know he's only here for one season, but see how much he cared, how much uh, it hurt him not to be on the field in Death Valley. Uh, see how much passion he played with this season. I know it was only one season, but this Gator fan in me has no issues calling Jonathan Gennard a Gator great already. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, you know, I, th- I think what what could be a little bit easy to sort of overstate is the impact that he may have on other guys. We don't know yeah. exactly how how that's going to like work out, but it doesn't hurt to have a guy like that as a veteran presence on your team at all because you do have a couple of younger players on that on that defensive line and that defensive front, a couple of edge rushers that are young like Chris Bogle, Diabati, even Jeremiah Moon is still is still relatively um, young in comparison to a guy like Bernard. So, you know, the, it looked as if like those guys were learning and just kind of picking up on things where, okay, this is how it's supposed to be done, or this is, this is how I'm supposed to prepare and get ready. Um, this is how I go about my, my work throughout the week. And so, like I said, sometimes it's hard, it's easy to sort of oversell that because people are different. And just because you see somebody doing it doesn't mean that you are, but it certainly doesn't hurt to add that guy to your locker room. And we'll see, because I, I think it could have that sort of impact where it, it is a guy that provided an example for others, and that could be a lasting impact for him beyond just this one season, like you said, because he has been great. He has been tremendous, and I, I thought he would be very, very good. Um, I don't know if I would say borderline All-American like he is right now, um, or even probably, I don't want to say guaranteed All-American, but it would be kind of surprising if he wasn't at least second or third, but point is that I don't know if I, I would have penciled him, him in for that. I did think he, based on what everything I had heard heading into uh, spring ball that he, he was going to be a, a major factor. Um, so it didn't really like shock me, but the consistency that he had um, and also the heart, because this was a guy who wanted to be there for the, the, those games and those reps um, and those downs that he missed because of injury. And it was just written on his face where he was just so disappointed to look like on the sideline when he was not able to get in there. And then he makes the most of it and he makes up for it when he is healthy. Absolutely. So definitely would be missed in just the one after the one short season uh, we got with him. So uh, go back to the offense before we move on, Will, and go back to Trask and the, and the passing attack. You know, it was great to see one last look at just how far this offense has come with Trask and the wide receivers. Uh, throwing Emory in there, too. The Gators passed for 390 yards and four touchdowns. Trask goes 30 of 41, 343 yards and three touchdowns. Swain Jefferson Pitts led the way with five catches each. Ten different wide receivers caught passes. Uh, man, that the throw of the night, uh, Trask, I mean, having to move in the, in the pocket, find Van Jefferson in the back of the end zone uh, with a, you know, just a throw on, right on the money uh, as he's having to shift his feet and, and make that throw. Best throw of the night, and honestly, might have probably one of his most impressive throws for me this whole season. Yeah, I agree. And also, Emory Jones had a nice throw, too, early on in the game where uh, he made a nice uh, couple of reads. Uh, I think it was like on his third progression where where he went left, right, left, and and hit a receiver over the middle for a big game. So both QBs played well. And also just uh, another example of the wide receivers, because even when Florida State was 
covering or trying to cover Florida's receivers well when they were draped all over them, they were still like just too physical for them. And they still came down with the ball more, more often than not. They're breaking tackles. Um, it's just one of those things for if you're a Florida fan, man, you got to really sort of say to yourself, wow, and, and appreciate what you just had this year because that's that's quite the group um, that's about to leave. And now you still have some options, of course, next year. There's still some pretty solid playmakers, but man, it's quite the group. Uh, hard to replace. I don't, I don't know if it's possible to replace that, but yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like uh, kind of like a perfect way to end the season. It just epitomizes exactly what this offense has been about this year. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because Trask did. I mean, if you wanted to pick his game, he missed on missed on some deep throws uh, versus Florida State. But man, some of those middle intermediate routes, as you said, when the defenders were right on the receivers and the ball couldn't have been thrown anywhere else except for where it was actually thrown. I mean, that as far as the accuracy goes, I'm not counting you know the deep passes and all that stuff, but the throws you really have to be accurate on. You're right, man. Trask Trask was he's really nailing those. Ball placement, David. Yeah, <laughs> it was right there. <laughs> also, like they're just that's the, Mullen's, one of Mullen's, Mullen's favorite terms, right? Yeah, and also physicality, <laughs> though, with like Kyle Pitts. I mean, there was that example where I think he caught the caught a slant with just his right arm, <laughs> with another guy like all over him on the other side. I mean, that's just incredible. Um, so you can't really teach that. Um, but it's just been a, it's been a good combination of his ball placement plus the their physicality and their skill set of, of just getting open and and coming down the ball. All right, we'll get into some of your uh, listener tweets here. But before we do, uh, my bookie is the place for you because they let you turn all your sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. So between football season, NBA, college basketball season, it's time to get off the sideline and get in on the action with my bookie. Doesn't matter if you're an experienced player or a first time customer, my bookie welcomes all to come play. So quit waiting around and sign up today. Right now, my bookie will match your deposit by 50% all the way up to $1,000. Use promo code GATERS to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today at MyBookie.ag. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E.ag. And don't forget to use promo code GATERS when creating your account to claim the bonus. Bet, win, get paid at MyBookie. And we'll, of course, uh, a big rivalry win. So listeners here definitely want to uh, send their thoughts here and uh, start with Gator Rillis, who says it's always good to beat up on uh, the Knowles and spells it with six L's. So very nice. Um, FSU. Do what? That's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, FSU schemed uh, uh, a good opening drive and then derped the rest of uh, the way, uh, rest of the way pretty much. It felt like a Mac Nuss game game plan. We need to hit the trail like Mad Men now and get some top notch in state guys. And well, it kind of goes back to your article a little bit, man, that you released uh, uh, on the Athletic and uh, in, in, in this review back of the FSU game and all the recruits in attendance. And I think it was what five hundred uh, that you said were were in attendance, uh, um, you know, future recruits. And uh, Will Miles and I brought it up to, too when kind of looking at this, you know. For Florida's class right now, this 2020 class that's coming up, it's pretty much already you know determined for the most part. You, know, you got five, six, seven open spots maybe uh, of guys that are you, you have you know, what 20 commits uh, right now, and not many more open spots. And you know you you've already got those. You already have a lot of those guys targeted uh, for, for the rest of your open spots. But the game like FSU and the game like Miami and those two teams struggling this year. 
I mean, it goes a long way into your 2021 class, your 2022 class. Yeah. Dan Mull makes a really good point when he's asked about these type of things. And it's like, I don't know. This is him talking. And he says, you know, I don't know exactly if it has a major direct impact, you know, us beating Florida state in a big way like that. Does that completely change a kid's mind or not? I don't know. That's pretty much what his take is. And I, and I sort of agree with that just because it's, again, it's one of those things that's easy to say like, Oh yeah, mm-hmm. now we're rolling. Like now it's, now it's time to pick up or flip these kids or whatever. And it doesn't necessarily work that way. Sometimes guys are committed for so many different reasons. Uh, they either maybe grew up a fan of the certain school or it's just a better fit for playing time or just whatever the case is relationships, a whole plethora of things that everybody already knows about. But um, like you kind of mentioned, it's like, these things don't hurt uh, for those kids that are always, there's always going to be a portion of kids that are on the fence where it's like, they don't really feel too strongly one way or the other. Um, they don't grow up a major fan in one way or the other. Uh, they could be swayed. Um, and so it's like these sort of situations where it's like so obvious, it's not even just the final score. It was just the way the game was just clearly one-sided um, with everything that you want to list in favor of Florida, where it's like, yeah, it's pretty clear that one program is one way, one way, and the other is the other way. So it, it definitely should help. Um, I'm just kind of hesitant on just like how much mm-hmm. right now. It's one of those things where they really have to capitalize because it's not as if like they're so far away from Florida State and Miami in the recruiting rankings that you know it's like such a wide gap. It's not, um, and that's kind of more of a credit, in my opinion, to Florida State's recruiting. Uh, where like they haven't completely fallen off the map, even though they've had a couple of bad seasons. Um, so that's that's kind of some props to them. And also the other part of it is that it's really hard for Florida to, to widen that gap because to widen that gap means that you are now in, say, the top five instead of the top mm-hmm. 10, top 12. And to be right. in the top five, you're competing with the elites of uh, Georgia, LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and you're recruiting at that level, which we know the Florida Gators are not right now. So it's it's a hard thing for them because th- those programs, Miami, Florida State, I just don't see them really going away like that. Um, but clearly now is the time to sort of capitalize, if you can, on those kids who may be on the fence or you could sort of plant those seeds for the 2021 class as well or 2022 for that matter. Yeah, well, yeah, to kind of go to that point and extend it, Florida, Florida State, Miami – because of where you're located, you're a is by default you're going to be a top twenty class. I mean, it, it, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't really matter how much you're struggling. It it, it look Florida struggled under Jim McElwain uh, and Will Muschamp. They were still pulling in top fifteen classes. It's just in top ten classes, top five classes. I mean, struggling on the field. Sometimes I think it's that it's overrated. Uh, and if you're a recruiter, you can recruit. But also when you're part of this big three. You're, by default, you're going to be a top 20 class. You have a brand and, you ha- and you're in Florida, which is one of the best states for for, for prospects. So it's yeah. like, yeah, um, you have history. You have things that you could sell. And, and you're always going to sell, even if you're our Florida State or Miami, that, hey, you're going to be part of on the rise and this and that and playing time. So you look at it either way. But again, it, it comes down to just the state of both programs when you're talking about just Florida state and Florida, it is just so obvious that you, you have to start continue to, to beat them in the off season. You just have to, it doesn't matter who their coach is mm-hmm. or, or who their coach is going to be. You have to win on whoever those borderline kids are. And it's kind of funny though, because just because like this particular class with 2020, 
I'm not so sure if they are battling Florida State for those kids. Right. It, doesn't look, it doesn't look like it. So, again, that's another funny thing uh, where it's been like one of those type of classes that we don't see a whole lot of like battles going on between mm-hmm. them. So there's that aspect to it where they're kind of recruiting different kids and, and they're battling other schools for them. So there's that there's that part of it. So it's kind of a tricky thing to sort of gauge and explain. Uh, but they the long and short of it is that they really need the Gators I'm talking about uh, to keep the positive momentum going and close with some big names. Uh, because like you mentioned, they only have a few slots left. But similar to last year, they're in a position where you should be able to land some of your top blue chippers at these final spots like they did sort of last year. Um, and so if you do that again and you're adding to a class that, you know, it's already pretty solid, in my opinion, uh, mostly address some needs, some pretty, uh, some good talent there. But if you can capitalize and continue to add some of those big, big name blue chippers to, to cap it off, then you have some some major momentum heading into heading into a big year three for Florida under Mullen. Absolutely. And Gator Realist had another thought, and I'll get to that in just a second. But to follow up with what we just discussed, Gator1 uh, at Gators1205 says, could have been worse. Talk about the game here. Should have been worse. Probably needed to be worse for New Year's Six Bowl purposes. But in the end, the only thing that matters is that hopefully it didn't need to be worse to land all those recruits that were at the game. So uh, 40 to 17 to me is, I mean, if I see 40 to 17 or 50 to 17, it's not that big of a difference here uh, of course i'm not sure how much you know, your college football playoffs the selection committee is watching a, a game that was pretty much already over with at halftime you know I, it's it's there uh but you know I, I would assume that everything i was in the stadium too i would assume that the recruits saw enough had had, had, had good times um found plenty of ways they'd be used, especially if you're a wide receiver <laughs> or seeing how much you actually are needed if you're a running back and an offensive lineman uh, there or, you know, continue the good ways of everything you saw on defense there. Um, you know, I, I think just all in all, you know, fans, recruits, I still think you have to be pretty satisfied with what was put on the field against FSU. Oh, no doubt. I mean, you shouldn't really have too many complaints there. If you're, if you're Florida, um, you you completely blew them out. Um, there, there really wasn't a whole lot of things that you question. The only thing that you sort of question is you go back and look at the losses, but those things could be, could be sort of addressed by, at least in the LSU game, you didn't really have the pass rush because of you were missing your top guys and that sort of thing. So, um, again, at the beginning of, like I said, you know, Florida, obviously they want to win every game and, and, and they're going to say that, but objectively, this is probably where they, where they would have wanted to be or would have signed up to be two years from now, or even last year to kind of go back to back uh, 10 win seasons, get one more win than last year. So uh, I think it's been a successful season for Florida. And that was sort of epitomized in their, in their blowout last night. Yep. Uh, and go back to Gator real says he goes, now we just wait and see. Uh, if how the committee justifies putting Alabama above Florida, despite a despite a worse at a conference schedule, no quality wins, a worse loss, losing to a team we beat, and only three wins over Power Five bowl eligible teams versus R five, there's no logical explanation they could give. And that's one thing we'll be looking out for this week, Will, when when Tuesday comes around in the college football playoff, and you know Florida got some. Um, some losses from teams in front of them that they absolutely needed uh, to you know, 
kind of be cemented in the new in the New Year's Six game. We'll see how far the committee drops Alabama. Uh, yes, it's a team that lost to Auburn, that Florida beat. Uh, you look at a lot of common opponents there, and you know South Carolina, Tennessee. Uh, say Florida played better versus Tennessee uh, there than Alabama did. If South Carolina. Probably, you know, if, if we're trying to split hairs here, I have to say Alabama probably played better that game uh, there. But, you know, I, I think, of course, you know, trying to not to look at it with orange and blue glasses, but this is a team that, uh, you know, in Auburn, that Florida, to me, it wasn't as close as the score indicated uh, in, in that game. And uh, both teams on their backup quarterbacks as well, Mike Jones with Alabama and Kyle Trask with Florida. Florida did get the benefit of playing them at home uh, there. So you know, there'll be a lot of things I think the committee looks look, looks at. And uh, I'll agree, you know, Florida's got a much better win over Auburn that this Alabama team lost to. Um, Alabama's best wins maybe what, Texas A&M uh, now? And – you know, the only thing I think overall that's hurting Florida besides the two losses, of course, but those are, you know, if you want to quote, you know, quote unquote good losses there. Um, you know, Florida, who, who's Florida's second best win? Is that Kentucky now? Uh, that's probably the really the only thing I think that's really hurting Florida. Well, yeah, but like you said, like who's Alabama's best win? Right. Yep. That's where Florida has, in my opinion, the leg up there. Yep. You can look at it and say, who would win a game between Alabama and Florida on a neutral field. And maybe you kind of decide it that way. If you're, if you're the committee and just say like, Hey, this is, this is who we think the better team is. But if you're just going by uh, how they have ranked the teams in the past, you could definitely look at, look at it and say, uh, Florida has a, has a very strong case to be ranked ahead of Alabama just because, and just last week they had Penn state ahead of Florida, just primarily because of, the lack of lack of quality wins Florida has in comparison to the amount that Penn State had, uh, which wasn't a whole lot, but it was more. It was basically like two to one, three to one, that sort of thing. Um, so with Alabama not having any, it, it's kind of like if you got to stay consistent with that line of thinking, in my opinion. And if you are going to be consistent with it, probably you probably have Florida up there. Uh, you know, kind of sounds a little bit crazy just because it's Alabama and it comes <laughs> sort of a lore to it, but but yeah. Um, you can look at it that way. Uh, just objectively speaking. Yeah, you, definitely. Just because of the way that they've consistently had uh, the, the way that they consistently have valued those, those premier quality wins. And so Alabama doesn't have any looks like. Yep. And so the reason, you know, of course we're discussing it and everybody wants to know you know, Florida's new year, six chances. Uh, you're probably looking at right now, if Florida is ranked ahead of Alabama, don't see how Florida does not get the Orange Bowl here uh, because uh, the way it is worded uh, here on the SEC's website, the Orange will be ACC versus the highest-ranked SEC slash Big Ten non-champion or Notre Dame uh, when the Orange is not a semifinal game. So uh, it will be an ACC team, more than likely Virginia, uh, that will host uh, – that will be in the uh, Orange Bowl uh, versus the highest-ranked SEC Big Ten non-champion. It would have to think um, that Penn State would have to go to the Rose uh, for Florida to get well, in, to get well, into the Orange Bowl. Georgia could get knocked out of the playoff picture as well, though. Yeah. They lose and they don't. They don't look that competitive versus LSU. They can drop, but they would still be ranked ahead of Florida even after that final drop, of course. And so I guess they would be that team um, that goes into that New Year's Six. Yeah, and they would go to the Sugar, right? 
Yep. Um, so like that, that's why the Alabama situation is so is so important because yep. that eliminates one extra team for you that was ahead of you uh, because you're you're kind of assuming that in my opinion at least that Georgia will. I don't. I just don't see them holding on to that number four spot. So that takes away a team. Mm-hmm. Um, that that is currently there for you, and that pushes them out. So that, that's why it was so important. Plus the fact that you also have um, uh, Minnesota losing as well, which I think yep. was kind of important because at first I looked at it as sort of like a wash with with, with Wisconsin, just because they have a few wins now, and so they could jump up. But they also have to play, I guess, Ohio State, right? Right. And that could be another loss for, for them, and that would give them their third loss. And so would that put them ahead of Florida? Probably not. Not with three losses, you would you think. think so, right. Yeah, I mean, the, the way to look at that there, if you know, Wisconsin will probably jump Florida by beating Minnesota. But as you said, a game against, Ohio, a game, yeah. a, a game against Ohio State this week, they would suffer, suffer another loss. So, you know, Florida's probably got a pretty good chance to be the highest-ranked uh, SEC Big Ten non-champion. So that's, that's, how yeah. it work, that's, that's how it would work out to get the Orange Bowl. Yeah, we went from just the rankings from from the other day coming out, and me saying to myself, "Okay, they're out of the New York Six picture for right now." Yeah, I'm gonna need a little bit of help. But now I I, I assume by the by Tuesday night when the rankings come out again that um, we're gonna be sort of the reverse, where it's like, okay, they're back in the New York Six firm firm contention for it, and they just don't need you know something something absolutely nuts to happen. I would suppose. Right. I guess the cotton would be another avenue there for the uh, New, Year's, New Year's Six as well. So here we go. Plenty of bold talk we'll have uh, coming up and also uh, next week as well. So 904 Ernest says Trask is a surgeon in this offense. And Will, he brings up an interesting point here. Not fully by we need a running quarterback for this offense to be elite. We just need a traditional running game. So that's been a hot topic, of course, <laughs> throughout Gator Nation and, and trying to compare the, the quarterbacks, Trask and Jones, moving forward to, to next year and who needs to be the quarterback. And, and look, if you find a way to get a traditional run game, the offensive line takes its strides and Kyle Trask is your quarterback, there you go. You know, you got your pass, you got your run. Um, if the offensive line doesn't come along and, you know, is – is passing the ball 40 times a game enough to, you know, go undefeated or only have one loss in the season? There's really no way to know. Uh, the schedule does get much easier next year for Florida uh, there. So, uh, but it is an interesting take here uh, that, you know, this offense in Dan Mullen doesn't necessarily need a running quarterback, but a run game just in general. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think ideally you want everything for sure. But I think this year has proven a lot that you, you can win big w- without it. Yeah. Without something, um, wh- whether that is if your other strengths are that strong or if it's that much of an advantage, which it was for Florida. The thing is, is that it's just not going to be that case next year, it looks like, because you're just not going to have that surplus of talent that you have this year. So it's going to be different. So you, you probably will need a little bit more of a run game. But I'm not sure. You, I don't think you need I don't think you need one this year, though. I, I really don't. I don't think that's why you lost to LSU and Georgia. Um that's not what separated you from them. Um, so I, I think that they had some balance. You know, Dan Mullen said it in jest the other day, but he was right. They had balance because of the way they distributed the ball. You didn't know where the ball was going, so that's balance. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fact. Um, that's, that's what people talk about when you when you say when you want to have that 50-50 thing. So it's the same idea. It's just a different way of doing it. Um, so I don't think they really needed one this year. Uh, they, prob- they probably will need one next year just because of the different personnel. Yeah, absolutely here and uh Dustin Woolbright at uh 
uh, at uh, Diffenstrader19. He says, finished undefeated in the Swamp um, and had a better regular season record than last year. This was a fun way to cap off another step in the progression of this team. These seniors are special, and I'll be interested to see who takes up the leadership mantle they're leaving behind. So if we do take a look forward in just that regard, Will, um, I say Kyle Pitts is one uh, I'll, I'll be looking at there and kind of losing – so many receivers uh, that that Florida's losing and somebody who had the production and somebody who's going to be on the field as much as he uh, will be. I think Kyle Pitts is is one guy that I'll target there for that little leadership role. Yeah, I, I could see that. I could also see um, Trey Grimes being a guy. He's, he's yeah. very vocal. Um, he's a guy who everybody knows how talented he is. So he's a junior. So obviously he has the opportunity to go to the draft if he wants to, but saying if he comes back, He's a guy who I think he, he's been around the program now. This would be his third year. Um, he has been he was at Ohio State prior to big time, you know, former big time prospect. So he has all that uh, to give him that sort of respect. And he's posted the numbers. And like I said, he's pretty outspoken. He's, he's a very good communicator. So he'd probably be one of my guys who I think um, would be somebody that people would look up to and easily respect. And I could see him being that guy in the huddles. Uh, breaking th- things down and being that guy that people rally around uh, just because just of his personality. So that would be for me at, 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 offensively at the top of my head. Yeah, defensively, uh, I probably will struggle there a, a little bit to kind of name one right off the bat. I mean, uh, Grenard was able to come in here in, in, in one year and, and be that low. David Reese, of course, and, and his role and leadership for, for years that he's, he's been able to bring to the table. Uh, you're losing Jabari Zuniga as well, who had some a lot of experience and and, and could be a leader uh, as well. So yeah, defense it may be a little uh, tougher to, to to replace some leadership on that side of the ball. Yeah, if you talk to guys on the team, it's Ventrell Miller. That's yeah. the guy that comes up a lot, uh, and for good reason. He he has a he has a strong personality that guy that guys could relate to and and liken to and respect. And he's also played a lot better the last several weeks. It's kind of gone under the radar a little bit, but he, he's really stepped his game up. And, and you got to really rewatch the games or be paying attention to him specifically during the games to really notice sometimes. But uh, we aren't really calling his name out a whole lot when we're talking about uh, too many busts in coverage or, or, or blown gaps or this or that, like we were maybe last year or early on in some portions of the games this year. He's gotten a lot better. Um and, and he's and he's getting there, and he's probably in line to start next year again, uh, just because David Reese is not, no longer going to be on the team, of course. And so he's a guy that people already point to as sort of a vocal guy uh, defensively, particularly in that linebacker room. So we'll see if it kind of extends beyond that room uh, for next year when when they are going to need to be replacing a lot of senior leadership, getting a lot of guys to step up. Yeah, absolutely, there. So. Well, let's take a look around uh, what happened in uh, SEC land, uh, and uh, also, you know, Miami losing to Duke. I mean, that that hurt. That does hurt Florida in a way, but uh, Gator fans still don't mind seeing seeing that. I don't think. So, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, well, I definitely have to ask you in your opinion. Uh, of I don't know how busy you were on Thanksgiving night, but I know the game. I watched the egg. Okay, there we go. So you know where I was going with that. Twenty-one uh, twenty, Mississippi State over Ole Miss, and uh, of course the uh, celebration of the dog and the fire hydrant of uh, Mott that that the Ole Miss player uh, did and scoring their final touchdown. They get a penalty. It drives the extra point back, and of course the kicker misses the extra point, and Mississippi State beats Ole Miss by one in the Egg Bowl. 
Well, I, I know Twitter world's this, this divisive uh, on this. I think you had to throw the flag on the celebration. I mean, it was right there in front of the referee. Uh, was it funny in a way? Yes. I mean, I laughed. Don't get me wrong. But in the grand scheme of things, there's no way that flag was not going to be thrown there. Well, the context is that DK Metcalf did the yeah. same in 2017. Um, and so there was a precedent for it. And plus, there's a lot of bad blood between the two schools. And it was a big deal before the game that they wanted to nip anything and everything in the bud early. Uh, they even, for the first time in history, I think, changed the way the tr trophy was being presented just because they didn't want a fight to break out or have any sort of uh, shenanigans going on in that way. So, yeah, I, I don't. I don't mind it as a fan seeing it. I don't really care that much. I'm not going to really like throw a, a hissy fit from seeing a guy do that. I, I don't really, it doesn't bother me personally, but uh, I expected the flag right away. Right when I saw it happen, mm -hmm. I, I knew it was going to be a flag. hundred percent. Same here. Same here. So I thought it was the right call, but uh, you know, crazy. Still had it. Still, still had a chance. Do what? He's got to make that kick. There you go. You read my mind. It's exactly where I was going. You still got to make it and take that game to overtime. So would have been interesting, though, if there wouldn't have been the uh, penalty if uh, Ole Miss would have went for two. Um, yeah, that, that would have been. Uh, yeah. That would have been quite the call, too. <laughs> and the, the funny thing is that the, the – talking about my bookie, the spread for that game was minus one, uh, <laughs> one and a half. So, like, that, that just adds to, like, you know, how many people were just watching that one play. Yeah. And, like, themselves, oh, man, you know, what's going to happen here? So uh, a, lot, a lot was on the line, let's say, on Thanksgiving night. Oh, man. So – and then uh, on the way to Gainesville yesterday, we get a uh, word, you know, on Friday, Missouri beats um, Arkansas 24 to 14. But a day later, I'm on the way to Gainesville and get the notification that Barry Odom has been fired at Missouri. I thought it was surprising for me and, and, and because of all, a lot of the off-field issues he had to deal with in his time at Missouri. I I mean, I guess I don't blame them for firing him, but I guess I thought he would have gotten one more year to maybe because it's not like he was terrible. Um, they were a pretty good team last year. They put it all together for a late season run last year with Drew Locke. Uh, I know a lot of people expected a whole lot more this year uh, with Kelly Bryant coming in and they lose the opener to Wyoming. Then they go on a winning streak. And then these last four or five games just look like they're lost. Uh, they they completely look like two different teams there uh there so uh yeah kind of i mean like i said i don't think i would have done it kind of surprising to me but i can see why they did it yeah I, I could see it too just because if you look at the past two years uh, they, they had some talent on those misery rosters these past two seasons and and they were supposed to do a little bit better in each of them than they than they actually ended up doing and so they could really look at it and say they i don't say wasted it but they definitely fell short of i think what they, the the um the uh, sort of the potential of those teams could have been. I think they fell short. And that's kind of like, you know, if you're going to have those rosters and you're just going to put up the wins that they did, what are you going to do with less? Which is they're probably going to have less in the future. So yeah. I think that's kind of like where they were at with Barry Odom. Got you there. All right. Quickly, we'll go through the rest. Georgia destroys Georgia Tech 52 to 7. Uh, there, but DeAndre Swift did get injured. He's supposed to play next week in the SEC championship game. Pickens, the wide receiver, will be suspended for the first half versus LSU next week after he got into a fight uh, with the Georgia Tech player. Kentucky destroyed Louisville 45 to 13. They ran for 517 yards rushing. Clemson 38 to 3 over South Carolina. 
the big upset, Auburn 48, Alabama 45 in the Iron Bowl, uh, Tennessee 28 to 10 over Vanderbilt, and then LSU 50 to 7 over Texas A&M, blowout, blowout fashion there. Uh, there. So, Will and uh, man, that's uh, it for the uh, SEC season. Everything, anything catch your eye in the conference this year, and kind of looking at next year. Well, just just how good LSU was is still the story to me. Um, yeah. And it'll be interesting to see, like with with, with uh, how that continues, or you know what what that means for Joe Brady's future as, as the path, passing game coordinator over there. Uh, whether he stays there, what that means for LSU's future uh, beyond this year, because it's wrapping up to be a pretty special year for them. And I bring that up just because that that matters, of course, to Florida. It's a, not only do you play them every year, but big team uh, as far as recruiting goes, mm-hmm. they're battling with pretty much for uh majority of the guys, it seems, on this commit list. Uh, quick prediction for SEC championship game? I'm going to go LSU for sure. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if Georgia could beat them. Um if they played multiple times in a series for that matter, like if it was a, say, so like a seven game series, how many games you're giving Georgia? I'm, I'm not sure. And a one game, just a winner take all sort of thing. I, I think, I just think LSU is the better team. I just, I have a lot of respect for Georgia's defense. Mm-hmm. They're, they're really good, but have you just yet to see a team even come close to, to stopping LSU? That's exactly how I feel there. I think Georgia's defense may hang tough for a quarter or so. And then I think LSU probably gets their bearings under them and then uh, kind of just, yeah, when uh, up by a couple scores, once 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 you get kind of well into the second quarter, I think they're, they'll be up by a couple scores. And Georgia is not built for that sort of shootout. No, so that's just that's just not a great matchup in my opinion. Agreed, agreed. So, Will, man, thanks uh, every Sunday, man, for doing this uh, after every game. Uh, I know the the Gators Breakdown listeners really like having your insight here and uh, over there at the Athletic. I'm grateful you took time every Sunday to to come on here and, and talk some Gators football with me. And most importantly, man, it's been fun. Oh yeah, man, it's been a blast on my end. I appreciate it being on. Hopefully, we could do it for the bowl game. Why not? Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. We'll do that. Uh, Whenever uh, we figure out there, we'll figure out uh, all together uh, next Sunday. We'll figure out where the Gators are are going bowling. And uh, once again, Will, can't thank you enough. Uh, what you got? What you got coming up at the Athletic this week? Yeah, we'll probably be covering some recruiting stuff. We're going to do obviously a final look back on the Florida State games, looking at some memory Jones, Kyle Trask things um, with what we saw um, against the Seminoles. But but mostly just going forward into recruiting now with. Uh, know 14 or so days left uh before the early signing period and obviously they'll get the, the bowl uh situation for the gators as well for at least for this week and then after after that we really get into some some offseason stuff which usually bodes well for us at the athletic just because that allows us to do some more sort of um off the radar sort of features and stuff which is always pretty fun yeah absolutely so Go sign up at the uh, Athletic, get the app, get the, go to the website. Great content there from Will uh, and the team over at the Athletic. I'm David Waters, host of Gators Breakdown. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.